0: launch and optimize web pages fast that means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge learn why teams like dropbox ideo and orange theory all trust webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com want to drive greater success in social commerce with deloitte's latest creator economy research you can after surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands Our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Nadja, you're at a very creative company. You have a career of creativity. Yeah. Do you feel creativity can be taught or Uh, learned?
1: Look, I think you can help companies, brands, people understand the intersection between creativity, culture, commerce, and community. That's how I really think about the challenge you really have in front of you. And when I think about it in in the context of the four C's, as I call them, then you can help someone understand it.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Creative. It's what all individuals, teams, and companies strive to be. But in all aspects of business, there are certain rules to follow or reputations to uphold. So how do you maximize creativity within these boundaries? Our mini-series, Creative Collisions, explores just that. We'll dive into how companies, brands, and leaders handle those push-pull moments, why it's so important to have those conversations, and what lessons were learned along the way. Today, we have four executives who are part of BECCA, the Black Executive CMO Alliance, whose purpose is to provide a safe and trusted space for black marketing executives to share, learn, elevate, and pay it forward. Joining me for this Creative Collisions Roundtable are Julius Robinson of Marriott, Naja Bell & White of Vice Media, Amanda Mitchell of AT&T, and Breanne Bowles-Marshall of General Motors. We recorded this animated roundtable on June 19th while we were all taking it in at the Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity. Enjoy and get ready to take plenty of notes. Today is Juneteenth, so I'm honored to have four amazing black CMOs on the show. Thank you for joining me on this special day, which is also the first day of Cannes. So I'd like to start with, just so our audience knows, your name, your company, your hometown, and a word, a phrase, a short story about your experience so far this year at the Cannes Festival.
1: My name is Naja Balan-White. I'm the global CMO of Vice Media Group. My hometown is New York City, although I've worked all over the world. And the phrase that best describes my experience so far is something I learned when I was CEO of Africa. Patience can cook a
0: stone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, that's a
0: hard act. one day, right? Yeah. You wanna say a little bit more about that before we pass the mic? I
1: think as a CMO in turbulent times, I'm sure you know what that's like. And I think that you have to learn patience and you need to understand the art of the pivot. And, you know, you have to have patience to understand the market conditions, how to make allowances for it, and sometimes just to stay in the cut and listen a bit, and then know how you're going to react. So I say patience can cook a stone because patience can actually drive growth if you really listen to what's happening in the marketplace.
0: Pausing that for a moment, I just had Nathaniel Rue on the show, one of the founders of Sweetgreen. Right, it's a billion-dollar company, now a public company, 16 years old. He said, we've been into this knowing this would take at least a decade to build the brand and we'll have lots of hard times in the, but to think in decades versus days or quarters
2: and that's from a young entrepreneur. So it's a great lesson. Yeah, for sure. So Julius. Yeah. I'll go next to everybody. Julius Robinson, uh, chief sales and marketing officer for Marriott for North America is my focus. Can so far this year has been about reconnections. So I've really I just got here yesterday, but the opportunity to reconnect with people and just see where see where we're at right has been tra- uh, fantastic, and uh, a wonderful experience. I grew up in Northern New Jersey, so Newark, New Jersey, mm-hmm. in that vicinity, and I currently live in Maryland, uh, very close to our Bethesda, Maryland headquarters. Yeah, super,
3: fantastic.
4: Well, hello, hello. Um, I'm Brian Bowles Marshall. I lead diverse media strategy and investment at General Motors. First year at Cannes and I am beyond impressed. What took me so long to get here uh, is the question I keep asking myself. But when you ask for a word or a phrase, mm-hmm. um, it actually, my, my dad, when I was texting with him, he um, sent me some encouragement and he said, remember, network or not work.
0: Oh, that's good. And I'm
4: like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I'm keeping that in my mind as I'm walking through, like meet new people, find out who they are and what, what they do and, and grow. My hometown, Detroit, Michigan, by way of Flint, Michigan, and uh, I, but I've lived in Chicago as well for 15 years.
0: My son's in Detroit now, loves it. With a with new baby and his wife, they just love it.
4: It's amazing. It, it's amazing, the renaissance there, yeah. so really proud.
0: So what line of work is your dad in to have that great advice?
4: Well, he was a labor relations negotiator well, for General Motors, so oh wow. <laughs> I think he knew what
0: he was talking about. Wow, is he still working?
4: Yeah. Nope, he's retired, but he's still parenting.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> We're just after Father's Day, right? We're recording the day after yes. Father's Day. so Yes. <laughs> That's great. Make sure he listens to this. Yeah, I will. Okay.
3: Good. <laughs> My name's Amanda Mitchell, and I feel like I should say that Brie and I are not in the C-suite, or I'm not. Are you, Brie? Not, not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> it was prophetic, so I took it as right.
4: prophetic. It. Yes.
3: Okay. <laughs> My name is Amanda Mitchell. I'm the director of Growth Marketing at AT and T. My hometown is Dallas, Texas, and I'm actually a fifth generation Texan. Oh uh, but I live in Los Angeles now, and I love it.
0: So five generations in Texas. What brought your family there in the beginning?
3: There's there's some rumors about what came in, but I believe that uh, my family ran, well, ran away and wound up yeah. in in wound up in Texas. That's the that's the family lure. Yeah. But is that what happened? I don't know. But that's the, that's the rumor, the passed down oral history.
0: Well, let's look forward a bit now before we jump into the conversation, which is about creative collisions. So we're gonna have some fun with that. But as you look at the week ahead of you, I know there's some interesting Becca activities, but what are you most looking forward to this week? You've already started networking, Julius, but for all of you, is there some event, dinner, meeting, speech, but what are you most looking forward to this week?
3: So the project that brought us here, my my team, Team Onyx was about AI and how the intersection with black marketers and how it could amplify the voices in the room. And for the project, we wound up doing a lot of research about AI. And so I've gotten really interested in it and I wanna see all the AI panels that I can. I wanna understand how other people are thinking about it and what the future of that looks like for marketing.
0: So how are you thinking about AI right now?
3: I'm thinking of it as another tool in the toolbox of marketers. So I know that there's a lot of fear around how it replaces marketers, especially marginalized groups, but I'm thinking of it as another tool that you would use just like anything else. So, and if you work with it, it can work for you. And, you know, in theory, that's how people have adapted to every other tool that's entered the market and disrupted things.
0: Yeah. Super. Bree.
3: Similarly,
4: our project was on the use of a dashboard that would measure return on influence, which is a new metric that we would like to present to the marketplace. It posits that black culture influences mainstream consumer behavior. And by amplifying that, by having dedicated budgets Mm -hmm. and dedicated strategies to tapping into that insight, you can grow your business exponentially. And so in order to Really build out the tool, we'd need to really partner with data uh, and analytics companies and other marketers who would be interested in um, growing their business, (laughs) which raise your hand, right? Everyone. And so I'm really interested in, you know, joining, you know, looking at Nielsen, looking at Ipsos and some of the other uh, data and analytics companies here to see if there's a partnership to be had there to build things out.
0: Oh, fantastic. You both said you were part of contests at your companies. Tell us more about that.
4: Yeah. So our cohort was given a marketing challenge uh, us about black creativity and how marketers can bl- bring black creativity to the fore. We were then randomly assigned to groups. So oh. a lot of us, this is how we got to so know Becca each other. So Becca organized this. Becca organized right. this top down. It was amazing. And it, it was really, really funny. And I don't know if you had this same experience on your team, but the question was broadly specific is the best way I can put it, meaning your mind could go in a million different directions to answer it, um, which is a great thing. It didn't lock creativity to answer about creativity. And so all of our teams, that's why we came to a, um, an idea about AI or an idea about an our, our return on influence tool. So each of each of the teams were given a couple of weeks to kind of pull data together, insights together. And then we had 10 minutes to present our idea from top down uh, to a panel and then we were scored and those, the two top two teams were, um, invited to come join at Can.
0: I love that. Sounds like Jerry DeVard's work. It does. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> right. yes. it. That's her fingerprints Absolutely. all over it. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a creative initiative, really. Yes. Yes. We're here Absolutely. to talk about creativity. Yeah. Absolutely. Julius, what are you looking forward to?
2: You know, it's funny last year, uh, everybody talked about the metaverse, a lot less conversations about that this year. You know, for me, I'm excited about the creative sessions because we are trying to get very specific in our marketing strategy. We we are focused on uh, a couple, gen- you know, next generation travelers, but also our high uh, net worth travelers and how they travel. And so I'm really looking to unlock some, opportunities within the creative process that might drive attention to specific areas. Uh, so I'll be attending a lot of the creative uh, sessions. Sounds week. good. I want to yeah. be with you. Yeah.
1: So, you know, there are a couple of things I'm excited about. I think one of the sessions I'm most excited about is a, it's a talk I'm giving with Target actually tomorrow about Return on Influence, where we have our client and we have an influencer and we have Target talking about the program we developed because influencer engagement can be used in many different ways. But when you add the secret sauce is when it actually drives the ROI that companies need. And so we have a panel with Target talking about the program we've developed for them um, with one of their featured influencers and it's working at a time when you really need to look at all facets of the customer journey to really influence the purchase decision. So I'm excited about doing that talk with Target tomorrow. Are you nervous? No, I do this a lot. (laughs) I do this a lot. I mean, sometimes you just have to let the data speak for itself and let the talent speak. I mean, as marketers, you can give the best case study. The best case study are the very people that are actually influencing the process themselves, and that will be tomorrow with Roundell. So I'm excited about that.
0: We've all been there, you spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So, what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Okay, let's get into this topic of creative collisions. So I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to have you all speak to that, and then we're going to have a customized question for each one of you, and then we'll open it up for comment. But the first one, I'd like you to talk about a situation in your career where you've come across this collision between creativity and a boundary, or a framework, or a rule, and how you dealt with that. Because that's the essence of a creative collision, right? Because we can all be wildly creative, but most of us are operating within some sort of Guidelines, guideposts, whatever it might be. So it's a difficult question, but think about any time in your career or life where you've dealt with this, how you managed it, what you learned from it.
2: Well, I'll try to start. I think the uh, the very essence of unlocking creativity comes from the diversity of what you're trying to go after and the different audiences that you have to speak to. And so, in my career, the hotel business is very cyclical up, down, up, down. Luckily, uh, we're out of the down now. We're into the upswing. And people have really attached themselves to leisure travel in a new way. We're very excited about that. But I, I would say over the course of the career, when there are great ideas that come about, we have to be very specific in terms of the ROI that you just mentioned. And who are we trying to target and what is the opportunity to do that? And so one example that I would use is just trying to develop a new customer product that doesn't necessarily have the lure of the operators in the hotels who are actually going to have to deliver against that new service or Mm -hmm. new product. How do you speak their language? How do you make sure that they understand the end goal and then the specific steps that they need to take to get there? And when we've done that, we've been most successful. So I would just, you know, it's all about looking at the big picture, but looking at all the audiences that, that are going to receive the meal you're preparing for them. And what's the best way for them to eat it uh, would be the way that I would approach it. And you manage
0: that by involving?
2: They need to feel like they're part of the process, right? Um, if they're gonna, if they're gonna do uh, one or two new things in the business, how do you make sure that yours is one of them? Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is for them to feel like they've got buy-in and have had input into the process of of the actual thing that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, sure. Who's next?
0: You
1: know, I have an interesting one. It's it's, it's more um, at my prior life. I was an MD at at Ogilvie, And I ran Unilever and Dove, and we developed. Um, uh, a message a commercial called courage is beautiful and what people don't know is that we developed it in seven days and it was incredibly controversial at the time because it was during covid one you know there are multiple waves of covid and emotions are running high on both sides of the pond i was based in london and i remember talking to my then client who was like can we do this do we have the right to do this and i remember saying to him if you stand for nothing though who are you and i think your message has to be heard And so we then underwent a development of a message around courage that ended up being a great unifier at the time when the world is very much being torn apart by different facets. And to be part of something that brought different cultures together, different communities together, and a time where people literally were really at odds, gave me great comfort and to know that this is what we did at a time when humanity needed it most, and it was done in seven days. I broke a lot of rules though. I didn't really ask for permission. If you know anything about me, I never asked for permission, but it worked and it was needed. And it ended up putting together and pulling communities together in a way that I don't think anyone really understood. And I'm so, so proud of the work that we did with that team at Unilever.
0: What's your major learning from that?
1: Other than not listening to know the first time? That's a good learning. You gotta pay attention to your gut. And, you know, I think sometimes, I mean, you can't learn this. It only happens over time and decades. And in my heart, I knew that we had something special. And I knew when we looked at the faces of these unsung heroes, there was a message to be done. And the brand was very small in the message, Mm -hmm. but the meaning was quite large. And then you had to make sure you regionalized it across the globes that was meaningful in those markets. And so being able to understand the cultural mores being brave enough to say to someone, no, I actually think this is the right thing to do, to listen to the people around you, but do it in seven days was kind of incredible. And so you get those rare moments in your career when things kind of come together. And that was one that I that comes to
0: mind. How was the impact on the brand?
1: Oh, tremendous. It was the next evolution of, you know, you know the original Dove case study. This became the next Dove case study because Dove ended up being representative of what beauty is in a way that was refreshing and the brand needed that, that kind of ignite, ignite, igniting, but you know what I'm saying? Like They needed kind of this powerful force behind them at a time when the world needed the most. And then they've continued to do other great things.
0: It's a great story, it's a great story. Who's next?
3: I can go, mine isn't as revolutionary. It's more, you know, down in the weeds, but being at AT&T we have, Over a hundred years of data that's we've had a lot of acquisitions, divestitures of companies that have come together and gone apart. So when we want really cool ideas in marketing, it takes a lot of creativity to build them within the systems that don't always talk to each other. So I would say we're not always figuring it out, but we have a lot of innovative people within the company that are willing to work with us to build cool things. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about most of those, but it's interesting the way we pull it all together. And, and there's a larger initiative to, to send, you know, bring all of that data together. So we don't have to do that in the future, but until then working with just my partner teams across, across AT&T to, to bring our vision to life, even if it, the solution isn't as clean as we'd like it to be.
0: What do you do to uh, foster that kind of collaboration?
3: I have, just met certain people that have within AT&T that have that, uh, oh, we can, you know, they get really excited about ideas and you just kind of have them on your short list. Mm-hmm. And so you have this idea and you're like, oh, I like that. And you know, that might not be s- somebody's specific job, but I can reach out to this person, you know, these five people. And I know that they're going to, um, get excited about it and try to figure out a way that we can make it happen. So, I think that, that's that's how we do it. You don't always go to the person that right. necessarily owns. Yeah, Go <laughs> where the energy one. is, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. My my CEO at P&G, when I was there, whenever I or my group had an idea that was a little bit disruptive, he would get out list and he would say, who's going to have energy for this? Take it to them, let them run with it, and then take the learning back and spread it. I mean, that's the way change happens. Go where the energy is. Don't fight it. Bree.
4: Well, I have to say, um, my role was born out of adversity.
0: There you go. Creative collision.
4: <laughs> Cliffhanger, right? The year was 2020. Social injustice was at the forefront of everyone's minds. And here was General Motors on the front page of the Detroit Free Press and the, and the New York Times. There was a full-page ad that was taken out by several uh, Black-owned media companies. And in this letter they proceeded to express their displeasure with how investment has gone against Black-owned specifically, Mm -hmm. but diverse-owned media companies in general. Born out of that, General Motors took an introspective look at Arso, and it was in that inward look that we discovered it's not that we're doing nothing, but we could be doing more. And so coming out of that, um, we hosted our first ever A Diverse Owned Media Summit where we had dialogue and we said, hey, we hear you, we, we see you, we understand, here's what we're going to do. We made very public investment goals against uh, Black-owned media companies. But I will tell you, we're also very intentional about looking at how we're investing across all diverse segments. And we're making sure that we're growing across all segments, whether we have a publicly stated goal or not. A part of what got promised in that first ever summit, which predates my time at General Motors, though it doesn't feel like it does, but as a part of that, they made a commitment to create a position that would lead the charge in this space at General Motors. That would be um, accountable for our investments and our strategy behind that. And that would be responsible for bringing everybody in to the conversation. And I'm very, very proud that that role is the role that I, the mantle that I carry today. I think that when you have constraint in certain areas, Mm -hmm. that alone breeds creativity. So while I really wish that we had budget to give ample dollars to every media company that was out there, especially diverse owned, the reality of the situation is that budgets are finite. And so... What I've been working diligently to do is to make sure that beyond investments, we're still investing. What does that mean? That means how are we stimulating the ecosystem in such a way that we're helping these diverse-owned companies get business, even if it's not with GM?
2: Mm -hmm.
4: How are we tooling them? I have office hours that we host. We have feedback sessions. I created a whole platform, which is GMRoadToEquity.com which is an always on uh, platform for diverse owners to go to and get content on demand that will help them with their pitches to other companies as well as to General Motors. So, and we're not, I'm not done yet. We're not done yet, but I would say that that has been a a beautiful challenge to be navigating this space. And it's been a beautiful challenge to be able to do it together and organizations like Becca and having access to great minds like Julius Mm -hmm. and Nadja, like, that really helps me. It grounds me. It centers me, and it gives me—they give me something different to think about, like a different approach or a different way forward. And I always use their advice to kind of push, push, push ahead in that space.
0: There are so many great things going on in your company. I mean, I often get asked which companies I really admire. General Motors and Ford—they're bringing it.
4: It's tremendous. It's you know, tremendous. Great,
0: great, great purpose, great culture. Yes. So I just love watching what's going on.
4: I no longer refer to us as an automotive. I, we're a tech company, as yep. what I say, because we're we're charging forward, literally.
0: There's a lot of companies you could talk about, but are there one or two that you're working with that you think are really, really doing interesting things, media companies?
4: From an advertising perspective, P&G. Yeah, of course. P&G. i um, Long-term I've had my, commitment. A long-term commitment. I've had my stint working on P&G as well. I actually helped to launch Tide Pods when that came out. Sorry if I'm dating myself. No. Uh, not- but, uh, <laughs> Yeah.
0: I remember so, Tide Liquid coming out yeah. so if you want to date yourself. <laughs> well, it's
4: better than Tide Powder coming yeah. out, so I'll <laughs> right. give you that. Yeah. But yes, so P&G is just in- incredible. I love the way that they create credentialing agents in their platforms, like My Black is Beautiful mm-hmm. and so forth. And I actually got a chance to work on that as well. And I love how they, they leverage that to be an um, an authenticator and a safe space uh, for Black consumers, Black women in particular, to come and Way after they launched that platform, then they started bringing products through. But they built the trust and credibility first. Like Twenty five years ago. Oh that's man, a, it was.
3: That's a It's,
4: it's yeah. been a commitment. It's been a. It's been a commitment, and and I, and I just I admire that. That's the long game. When you talk about patience, there it is, right there. I think that's incredible. Well, obviously, with media companies, I've got to say Vice Media is amazing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Thank you very much. It's amazing the work that you do in the influencer space. I mean. I think we're at the point now, and actually, um, if you're not considering this, you're late, where why doesn't every campaign have an influencer behind it? I mean, it's just that personal and it takes the campaign to the next level when you have baked in, you know, authenticator to say this is the real deal here. Let me tell you why. It just it just jumps off the page. So I think I think companies like Vice are doing it really, really well.
0: All right, next question. I want you to get like another personal question. I want you to talk about sometime in your career when your creativity, yours and your teams were on fire. And what, describe that. What were the conditions that made it, so I guess it's more positive. I guess it could be negative too. We, we learn from both. But what were the conditions that made it such?
1: So, I was with Ogilvy, and it was when I was CEO of Africa. And here's what's interesting about being CEO in a region where you don't have as many resources. You become incredibly creative. And I ended up launching a program with Coca Cola at the time, where the challenge was how are we really going to impact and influence um, decision makers, um, business owners across East Africa? And we launched a program really around how, why the future is Kenya. And we ended up bringing together a coalition of business owners in the C-suite, representative in East Africa, and literally transformed the face of business in Kenya, and then went on to go to Tanzania and Ethiopia and other countries. And I remember when my client at the time came to me, he's like, I'm going to give you a brief. And I don't even know if the brief is right, but I know we have to do something. An election's coming. We need to, we make sure everyone's calm. How do we make sure we steady a market where people are feeling a little wobbly? What we ended up doing at the time, it was right before I left to come to London, was incredible. When I tell you, 25 business leaders, competitors even, came together to represent government. We had representation in government. Coca-Cola was at the center of it, but no one knew. And It was all about, you got to learn something in business. who's leading from the front and leading from behind. This is when you lead from behind and influence decisions and behavior to make a market act a certain way. But what we were able to do is we impacted business owners across East Africa. And that ended up being full circle, what Coca-Cola needed at the time and what Kenya needed at the time. So call it creative, call it interesting, call it solve a brief when you don't really know how to solve it. But that's the true essence of being a great marketer: is using all of your resources at your disposal to solve a business problem at a certain time. And that's, that's and leading
0: from behind. And leading that's from a you got to know the difference. Skill set.
1: It's different. You got to know when to push both.
2: Yeah, I love that no story. One teaches you that in business school. Before. That's right. No. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> That's a great one. I'll use brand. So not that many years ago, uh, Marriott acquired Starwood. Mm-hmm. While I think many folks inside of Marriott were very excited about some of Starwood's brands, you know, brands like W and St. Regis and Westin. The one brand that that I don't think many people at Marriott were too excited about was the Sheraton brand because it was an older brand. Yep. And so uh, lucky me, I had the responsibility of leading a (laughs) three-year transformation of Sheraton. And so what my team and I loved about that was we started out as the underdog. And so we were able to identify what is it going to take, because Sheraton actually is a premium brand and has been around the world for many, many years. But in certain parts of the world, it's sort of taken a dive. And so to to get people who didn't necessarily care about something because in many cases it was a competitor to some of our brands and then within a year get them to not only want to support it but to actually love the mission was phenomenal. And so that was a that was a 3-year global journey and we talked to customers, we talked to advertisers and media markets, we talked to um our own associates around the world who had this affinity for that brand. And so the creativity was on fire because everybody felt like they could play a role in turning around something that was once iconic. And so um, while, you know, brand transformations in hotels take a long time because there's a lot of capital. So while we're probably only in the second or third inning of that transformation, the attitude, the energy and the performance truly turned around in that three-year period. And that's when everybody felt like they were part of something bigger. And that's when the creativity was at its finest.
0: What about that new or that
2: evolved mission or purpose was excited people so much? I think it was about restoring something that was iconic. But the one interesting part about the brand, and all of our 30 brands have very specific attributes, but the one brand, the one attribute around Sheridan was this notion of community. I remember talking to a customer in a customer panel who said, you know, I had my wedding at the Sheridan because my mother had her wedding at the Sheridan and my grandparents had their first date at a Sheridan, right? And so there was this community and legacy of that brand. And so the turnaround was all about the design and all of that. But the energy came from the emotional connection that people had. And so the further we dug into the, the uh, emotional connection and created one of the brand themes around a sense of community, that was all she needed to take off.
0: Big lesson in that is without any brand transformation, go back to see what the latent equity is. Exactly, What's there? There's What's a reason there. the brand started and got a following. That's and right. Often we lose that. That's right. And not be emb- And don't be embarrassed by it.
2: Right. Own it. Yeah, Own it. We
1: were just talking about this. Everyone thinks that brands stay high all the time. No. It's cyclical. That's right. And so you've got to manage the wave of brand transformation. And anyone that understands branding knows it's all about the cycle. And watch. I mean, yeah. you've written so many books about it. Watch the cycle.
0: <laughs> learn from the cycle. Learn from, right. the cycle. Yeah. learn from the cycle. Yeah. So good. So, Bree or Amanda.
3: I'll go. So I I'm thinking about 2020 and I had joined the wireless brand. I had come from the DirecTV brand previously with DirecTV and we had this secret project that we were working on. And I I was like, Okay, what you know, what are we working on? And it was best deals for everyone. So we started in 2020 and we've continued it, but it's current customers would get our same acquisition deals and it was Great the first insight, by the way the first um, of its kind and it was in in telecom and it was super exciting but it was a huge secret so retail didn't know you know call centers didn't know and we were trying to tool them for what was coming and they're like what is, you know why are we hiring more people like why are we staffing up what you know what is this and I remember everyone inside the company was so nervous like you know how is this gonna how is this gonna land and you know sales went through the roof, it was just a huge success, and it was super exciting. So there was a lot of just as I was saying before, just a few people who knew what was coming, and we were all trying to stitch together like a secret project that then the whole company found out about. It was really really
0: fun. So you felt creatively on fire because you knew it was something special.
3: Yeah, for me because I had just joined Wireless. I'd come from from DirecTV. It didn't. I didn't realize quite how special it was. Mm-hmm because I didn't have enough history with it now that I've been with a brand for three years now <laughs> I I can I see what you know what a change it's made um, and it got people really excited about investing in current customer in the current customer experience because you know almost everybody you know has a phone has a cell phone plan it's not like you're you are going to, you know, there's not a lot of new phones being created unless, you know, you're aging into a, mm-hmm. a new phone. So most of your acquisition is coming from your competition. So how are you going to pull them over or keep them? It was just a, it was a fun project to be a part of. And I, I didn't realize that, that it was so magical at the time, uh, but it was
0: really cool. It's great stories, Bree, when you're creatively on fire.
4: So I mentioned that I was from Detroit and I mentioned that I also had a stint in Chicago. But what brought me to Chicago was an agency called um Footcombe Belding, and I think they're represented here they are. as well. Actually, when I moved to Chicago, they were draft FCB. So they had merged with draft at the time. I know I work on, you know, in the auto space now, but went to work on drinking then. It was Coors, the Coors account. Yeah. But never, never both at the same time, no drinking and driving. Okay, so Coors, um, in this account, I was the only person of color on, on my whole team. And so, of course, that made me the lead of the multicultural practice <laughs> on that whole, across all of their brands. One of the things that they told us in the brief was, we need to increase our uh, share amongst African American consumers in the South region by 6% by the end of this year. That's all they said. B- make it happen. Figure it out. Use media, make it happen. I said, okay, well, it's going to be interesting connecting media directly with sales, but we'll give it a go. And one of the things that I brought to the fore was Essence and Essence Festival. Now, if you know, creatively what that means to black culture then you know why that came top of mind for me but not just essence as a festival of culture and not just a cultural insight applied to the to the brand the reason why is because i knew that if we got a meaningful partnership with essence what would have to happen is the whole new orleans and surrounding areas would have to take on shipment because we would be the featured spirits they would have to take on enough shipment to accommodate over 100,000 people for an extended weekend. Long story short, you can see where I'm going with this. We hit the 6% with that event alone in six months, not a year. And the, in, the creativity there was not just in who we used, but how we used them. And that got us, that got us our goal in a densely populated <laughs> African-American uh, region.
0: And the major lesson for you from that was?
4: I think it goes back to trust your gut.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, what Naja said earlier, trust your gut. The hardest sell to get that through was not to the client. It was to my own team. It was to my own team, but I, I stood my ground. And it's so funny because when I was planning, planning it all, there was a whole lot of yous, meaning me. You, you're, what are you going to do when the numbers came back and it did really, really well? there was a whole lot of wheeze. <laughs> it's amazing how that happened.
2: It was a lesson, everyone, yeah.
4: everyone was, yep. look what we did, you know? And I said, Oh yeah, we, but in my mind, you know, that W was yeah me. I, f- I turned it. I said, it's me, it's me, but
0: it's so good. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have a question for each one of you a little bit personalized and then, I'll, and then we can put it up for discussion. Amanda, I want to start with you as we were, you're a really big advertiser. You're always in like the top three or four and a very successful advertiser Mm -hmm. or you wouldn't be doing it. So I'd like you to talk about how do you demonstrate to your partners, because you work with a lot of partners to pull that off. Yes, we are. That you really value creativity because clients, many say it, they don't show it and they don't act that way. And you seem to be doing it. So what is it about what you do to show to them that you value this? You really do.
3: Our biggest partners that we're working with are the phone companies. So Apple, Samsung, Google, mm-hmm. and how we value creativity is bringing them into the creative process. So including them on how, you know, a lot of the phone companies think of it as we're selling their the network and also featuring their phone. Sure. We think of it as a package deal. People want you know AT&T for, usually for the phone also there's fiber I'm not on the the fiber brand but so we have to bring them in and show how featuring that AT&T brand is prominently is going to help them sell their phones even if sometimes they they want a certain look that 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 matches more closely to what their brand looks like Ray said when the numbers come in all the the naysaying goes away. So when the when the mm-hmm. sales come in, they're they're, you know, they're more willing to work with
0: our ideas. Julius, in a reaction to that, you work with a lot of partners, right?
2: You have franchisees, owners. Yeah, we certainly do. We work with a lot of different partners. I think there's a lot of similarities there. I mean, from a the challenge we have is there's a finite amount of dollars that can be leveraged in the space. And we have 31 now individual brands, but they're all wrapped in this mother brand of Marriott Bonvoy. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge is always, how often do you present the brand itself versus the mother brand of Bonvoy? And I think what we've tried to do is to, you know, Bonvoy is really about how the ecosystem comes together. I think where we've tried to express the appreciation for the creativity is in the individual brand advertising and marketing because that's where people have an emotional connection to those brands. And so we sort of we let our partners stretch themselves bigger in those spaces than we might when we're talking about the 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 mother brand if you will.
0: Nadja, you're at a very creative company. You have a career of creativity. Yeah. Do you feel creativity can be taught or Ugh, learned?
1: That's a mixed question, Jim. Look, I think you can help Companies, brands, people understand the intersection between creativity, culture, commerce, and community. That's how I really think about the challenge you really have in front of you. And when I think about it in in the context of the four C's, as I call them, then you can help someone understand it. Because for me, I have to break it down to its simplest form. I haven't met a brand, I haven't met a creator that can't understand it across those four Cs. So I try to figure out who my audience is and then I try to give it the great, greatest context possible. But I think some people get it, but there are gonna be some naysayers. I mean, look, creativity is under fire. And, you know, a, a, and I may not have a popular view, but as much as people love AI, I worry. Because AI is not the answer, AI is a tool. And you don't wanna use tools that take away all the creativity because there is a human part to it that is necessary. And it's part of the creative process that's critical and crucial. You don't wanna lose that. So I try to keep that balance with the audience in which I work with and the creators that I work with. So yes, I think creativity can be taught to almost everyone, but there are some naysayers that think it can be completely automated and it cannot. Happy to do a podcast on that one, but it absolutely cannot be automated.
0: I've tried to do podcast outlines with AI. And it's not there yet. It's not people there think, yet. People yeah. think,
1: oh, I'll put this into ChatGPT; GPT. It's going to work. And it's not meant to be the answer. I say to my kids all the time, I know you think chat, G- chat GPT can write your term papers in university, but you still got to learn how to write. And so you got to be careful with the overuse of technology because the human interaction, that gut, that grit, that drives you as marketers, is really important and no automation can prepare you for that. And that to me is the center of creativity and that has to remain true to who we are in this industry.
2: Can I just add two Mm -hmm. seconds to that? I mean, I I would say 100% agree with you. (laughs) The AI conversation, I think we have to remember that that is a distinct data set about things that are already possible. And I think creators deal in the impossible. And you can't create impossibilities from technology, at least not today. So I think the more the creators think that way, the more relevance they'll have in the future.
1: But who are we? We're OGs.
0: (laughs) 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 Or did you mean anything else by creativity under fire? Is it the AI?
1: AI is part of it. And I also think that many companies, as you well know, when you're in a recession, the first thing that goes out the door is brand. And they're like, we don't need creativity. You, you don't really need to do that. Get rid of your marketing programs. Get rid of your investment in brand. And I know it, I don't have to tell you this. And You know your friend Shelly Lassers will tell yeah. you. When, when things are hard, you don't do away with your marketing budgets. Do away with your brand budgets. You double down on it. That's when you invest in brand. Because that's going to give you return 10, 20x over. But sh- people who are short-minded, who don't really understand, tend to pull away that investment. And that's when brands get hurt. Because that's playing the short game, not the long game. And so, yeah, I think creativity is under fire because those budgets end up being cut and whittled down to nothing. Then when the value of that brand has been whittled out to nothing, they're like, well, what happened? Well, you well, you took everything away. You got rid of all the creative people. You got rid of all the marketers. And guess what? You thought you could just do something with chat, chat GPT. And that doesn't solve it. So, Double down in creativity, double down in investment, double down in brand. And remember, that actually contributes to the overall ROI
0: of your company. I wrote a, an 11-page story in this month's Harvard Business Review called about brand marketing and performance marketing with two colleagues. One's a professor at Wharton, a really bright woman named Kate Lamberton. The whole basis was the most scary assumption we have in our business is that brand marketing does not have a payout. That's not have ROI. This article totally turns out on its head using fabulous new data and software to prove it.
1: I'm gonna go send it out to everybody in my Thank company. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Okay, Bree, you work for a car company, a gigantic one, and the language of creativity, creative collisions, especially, you don't like to use that word, but you are being creative at this company. So what is going on within your company that has fostered this creativity? Is it leadership? Is it conditions? Is it this time in history? What is it about what's happening in your company and I think in your larger industry that is so, so positive?
4: For a company that's over 100 years old and has been (laughs) gas-based, turning to an electric-based deal is quite a pivotal moment in and of itself. And that is what the industry is doing, right? And I think that to brace for that change, everything down to our our manufacturing centers are tooled to pull together what we call ICE vehicles or internal combustible engines runs on gas. Everything is tooled in service to the way that we've always known. And I think pivots can be scary. When you're looking to lean into something new, when you're powering forward, we have um, our vision is what we call triple zero, zero crashes, zero emissions, zero congestion That's a big, hairy, audacious goal, by the way. It's a good brief. Um, If you live in a um, city with a lot of traffic, the zero congestion alone is big, hairy, and audacious. But, you know, we believe it's possible. We believe it's possible. And we work with our brands every day to design around what we believe. And doing that inclusively is also the challenge, right? And, and I don't mean inclusive in just an ethnic or a gender sense, but even in uh, inclusion in an able sense, right? People are differently abled. Um, and, and so we have vehicles that are tooled to enable them to, to also drive and be mobile. So I think we're just finding our, finding our flow now. It's, we're in the early stages, but it's a very exciting time, I must say.
0: It's very positive for the world, very optimistic. Julius, you are, you're the world's largest hospitality company, right? We are, yes. So you know a few things about creativity and culture. And I'd like you to speak about what you've learned about happy employees, including at your franchise operations, Sure. happy customers, and just an overall positive creative culture. What have you learned? Because you have this incredibly extended ecosystem. That's right. So how do you activate that?
2: How do you keep it creative to the point where you hit all your KPIs, internal and external? Sure. Great question. Well, I I think a lot of it has to do with innovation and creativity. I think those two go together. And then I think there's a level of inspiration um, that comes along with that. So I'll talk about the first two across the business. I mean, our our company was founded uh, on the notion that if you take great care of your associates, they will take great care of the customer, the customer will come back. And I think that that actually stands true 97 years later. I think we still have that essence as an organization. But when you think about the world of imagination and creativity that really sits uh, again with the brands and with the global global connectivity and how trends and people are moving that's one element the other element though are the folks in the hotels who help people live their experiences each and every day and so you have a, a team that's focused on delivering on the ground and then you have a team that's trying to take that emotional connection and make it relevant for everybody and so when those two are in a uh, Concert, it works really, really well. That's the combination of innovation and creativity. And I think the other piece to that from an inspirational perspective is people through social media share their stories each and every day. They take pictures of what they eat. They take pictures of the pool. They take pictures of all their experiences. And so while, while we know we're not necessarily in the pure experience business, we are facilitators of the experience. And so the millions of people that stay with us in our hotels each and every day are all have a unique idea around what they want that experience to be. And so the, the, the challenge and the fun for the organization is how do you harness that and pull up the ones that are relevant to you, uh, but pull up different ones that are relevant to you. And so the team, one thing we do have is an incredible amount of information that we can then leverage to turn on certain levels, levers at certain times, and, and hopefully drive behavior that's beneficial for the industry. And, you know, and sometimes the, there's a seesaw there. Sometimes the creativity around the innovation is well ahead of the actual guest experience. But then there are other times like coming out of the pandemic where, you know, our employees were so excited because the energy and the enthusiasm of our customers who were just happy to get out actually fueled a lot of what we were able to deliver. So um, when, when those worlds are working uh, together, it can be quite special.
0: I want to end this great discussion with each of you giving one short piece of advice regarding creativity and leadership to our listeners. And by the way, about half of our listeners are young. A lot of young and upcoming leaders listen to this show for inspiration, ideas, thoughts, uh, humanity. They love the fact that, that the guests are real people who talk honestly and openly about their life. So I'd like you just a one short, pithy piece of advice to our listeners about leadership and creativity.
3: I like to lead my team with a lot of trust. So I give them a lot of leeway with how they solve problems. So I give them the problem that I want solved, the goal we want to meet, and I let them run with it. And they're going to solve it in a way that I wasn't expecting. And sometimes it'll really, really, you know, really, really surprise me. I just look at them as they work for me and I also work for them. I want to create an, an incredible experience for them when they come to work where they can spread their wings and, and, and do exciting work. So I've had incredible creativity on my team because of all the freedom that I've given my team.
0: I love that. Isn't it wonderful when you see that surprise? Yes. <laughs> it was back and something you never would have yes. thought
3: of. Yes. And you're like, this is amazing. How did you think of this?
0: Yeah, Bree.
3: I would say lead with your creativity and innovation
4: and don't make your idea small. There's no small idea, so lead with it and 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 be proud. Be proud.
0: Life's too short to work on small ideas, right?
4: It, it is. Yes. It is. You know, we have a culture and there's often in no marketing such thing is, anyway, right? No. No, and <laughs> so, yeah, yeah.
2: But we we get
0: consumed often with activity
2: mm-hmm. versus
0: really making an idea big.
2: I would say, uh, fail fast and own it. Mm. If you are in a culture that allows you to to try things. Own your failures because they're not really failures. They're learning opportunities and you will spark energy. Even from the lessons from that, you'll spark new ideas for creativity.
1: I would say um, be deliberate and be courageous. You know, one of the um, things I teach my team is have the courage to let culture lead. And that has a double meaning. Because sometimes people want to just look at the surface of what the answer is. But really dig deep to think about what are the mores driving the decisions and the creative decisions that you have. And and, and you have to be deliberate with it. You have to really pay attention to what the data is telling you in the market. And then act accordingly. People aren't deliberate enough. And that's what ends up making a lot of mistakes in the market. You've seen it with brands I cannot speak of where they weren't deliberate. They didn't think. They didn't listen. When you say deliberate, what do you mean? Meaning what they ended up doing was a reaction to something they thought was uh, responding to popular culture, right? They didn't really take the time to really understand the cultural nuances that are necessary. So they responded in a way that they thought was something that they overheard their child talking about or their friend talking about in a club. It ended up being a disaster for certain brands. So when you talk about leading with culture, being deliberate in how you do it, it's all based on the act of listening actively and then being deliberate with your intentions and following it all the way through. And not enough people do that. And that leads to the courage to let culture lead.
0: This has been a great chat. Thank you. Thank you. And I wish you a wonderful week in Cannes, a wonderful summer. I know.
3: Let's have a reunion. I know. All right.
0: <laughs> that was my conversation with Julius, Naja, Amanda, and Brianne. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. First one, I love their leadership advice. Lead with trust. Lead with creativity and innovation. Fail fast and own it and be deliberate and be courageous. Beyond those great pieces of pithy advice, I loved our discussion about AI. AI is another capability. It's not a replacement for creativity. It's an enhancement. I love the quote from Julius. Creators deal in the impossible. AI deals in the possible. There was also a lot of great discussion learning about trusting your gut and staying humble. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed, so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.